Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful again for a Sunday, a day that we can come together as your people, that we remember who we are and why we're here. Help us today as we sit under your word to think, to uh, engage, to pray, and ask, Lord, that you would, uh, by your spirit, apply your word to our lives, convict us of sin, encourage us in uh, the right way that we might see the fruit of righteousness in our lives and in our families and in our world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Continuing our series, this is Lesson 5 in Life in Our Community. And I have a little bit of leftover from last week that I didn't quite get to. It won't take but a couple of minutes to address that. And then we'll start our new section today. Uh, last week, we ended talking about benefits, some of the benefits of being members of the church. We'll be expanding on that in today's lesson, but I did want to mention something we don't think about very often, but is really important and something that is lacking in, in many places in the church today, and that is the blessing of church discipline. Uh, think about a family that, would ha- that had no discipline. Would that be a blessing? No, that's chaos. That's craziness. That's uh, We can't function in any society without discipline. And I want to say, remind you, or perhaps you haven't thought about this, about the importance of discipline. In fact, discipline is one of the marks of the true church of Jesus Christ, is that it maintains discipline. Uh, and this is cru- crucial uh, for the function, as I said, of any community. The idea of church discipline, though, is foreign to many contemporary Christians, uh, yet it is essential for the purity and for the faithfulness and the fruitfulness of the church. Uh, The purpose of of church discipline is fourfold. When we hear church discipline, oftentimes we might think of excommunication, of putting somebody out of the church, but that's actually pretty rare. Uh, That is one aspect of church discipline, but on the front end, one, of the th- one part of church discipline is that the church guards the entrance of the church. We don't just say anybody and everybody come in. We, we, wanna, we want people here who, who are true followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we guard the entrance into the church by having elders who examine and talk to people and find out what do you believe and, and do you understand what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And in some cases, of course, if they haven't been baptized, they are baptized, and we began to teach them uh, what the, words, what the uh, Word of God says, and that leads us to the next level of, in fact, the primary thing of discipline is instruction, uh, feeding, training. That's what we do every week. That's what I'm doing right now. That's what we do in the pulpit. Uh, that's what we do by in, uh, encouraging you in Bible studies and to read books. Most of what you do in your family in terms of discipline is teaching. It's the formative aspect of discipline that's so critical. And so that's why you being engaged. How many times have you been talking to your children, you're trying to instruct them, and you say, look at me, pay attention. Because you know you can speak and they don't hear sometimes. And so you're trying to get them to engage and to pay attention. How many times as a parent have you said, I've told them that a thousand times? And maybe, and sometimes that feels frustrating, and it feels frustrating as a pastor sometimes. Uh, 
but maybe it's that thousand times that it takes to finally get embedded in someone, little by little. And so keep up the work in your homes and also in the church. Then, of course, another aspect of discipline is the need to correct, to, uh, to, retrain, uh, to retrain or to restore. Somebody's gotten off the path. Somebody's uh, not doing what they should be doing, and we correct them with words, with encouragement, with uh, admonition, exhortation. Uh, all those things are ways that we help somebody who's strayed off or has uh, wandered off or who has just, out of ignorance, done something they shouldn't do to bring them back to the place where they should be and to give them more instruction. Ultimately, if we have someone in the church who is harming the church because they are not following Jesus, they will not follow Jesus, they won't listen to instruction, they won't receive correction, and they insist on living the opposite of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, then the church has an obligation to put that person outside the church. Actually, they've already done that by their words or behavior or both. And so the church at that point, hopefully again very rare, would say to that person, you don't really belong here because of what you're saying or what you're doing or both. And we have tried and labored to bring you to a place where you should be, but you will not do that. And so we are going to guard the church. We, we, we care for you. We want to see you do the right thing. But if you won't, then what we're not going to do is let you come in and disrupt and, and corrupt the church itself. And so the obligation here of the community is to protect the community. So the scriptures talk about remove the evil man from among yourselves. Uh, because that evil is like leaven. It can then spread and develop and be a cancer, if you will, in the church. So central to the routine discipline of the church is the fact that it promotes and encourages that which is good, that which is glorifying to God. You need it. I need it. We need it on a regular basis, really on a daily basis. And when we forsake the community... Uh, it's a declaration that says, I don't, I really don't think I need that. I don't need anybody to teach me or tell me what to do or correct me. I, I can do this on my own, which is the fundamental problem in the Garden of Eden, right? So the desire to do my own thing. Uh, so when a church fails in its duty to maintain discipline, it's already surrendered and abdicated its responsibility, and in fact, it has become irrelevant to the world in which we live. Part of the reason we have a community, and God has put his community, communities of his people all over the place, is for us to be salt and light to the world, to be different, to be set apart, to show them a better way. And so church discipline in all of its forms, preventative, formative, corrective, and excisive is the line of demarcation between the church and the world. And without it, we cannot distinguish between the two. So it is a blessing to have, to be in a place where there is discipline. Just like it's a blessing to be a child who's loved enough to be disciplined. How, so shifting gears here to our lesson for today, how important is our communion? How important is our church? 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15, Paul writes and says, These things I write to you, 
though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Well, there's a lot packed in there, but there is an assumption here that we are part of this body, part of this church, part of this community that is the pillar and the ground of the truth. How important is truth? The establishment of that in us. An old friend of mine, uh, Curtis Thomas, wrote a book titled Life in the Body of Christ, in which he asked the question, just how important is your church? And he has a list here. I had created my own list, and I got, I ran across his, and so I merged the two, and uh, they were very similar, but I just want to read through this pretty quickly. Uh, here are some things that we receive from the church. It provides you with daily and weekly fellowship. You're not alone. It warns and encourages you. It helps you to be accountable. It provides communion for you. It challenges you to use your spiritual gifts. It provides a place for those gifts to be exercised. It helps protect you from heresy or false teaching. It guides you in godly living, both by example and by teaching. Uh, it spiritually ministers to you and your family. It collectively supports Christian causes and missions around the world. It often means, uh, it's often the means of salvation, the salvation of souls. Um, they, the gospel is preached here and, and people hear it and believe. It helps you when you're spiritually, emotionally, physically, or financially in need. As we mentioned here before, it's the pillar and the ground of the truth. It disciplines you when you develop a sinful lifestyle. And again, I'll quote from Curtis Thomas. He says, these are just a few of the benefits of belonging to a good local church. Try to imagine where else you could receive such benefits and direction. Indeed, our Lord manifested his wisdom when he established both the universal and local bodies of Christ. And we are the primary beneficiaries. Today, thank God for the grace shown to you by placing you in a sound local church body. Now, it's a, it's a work of imagination, but try to imagine where you would be in your life right now if you, had not, if you didn't have the church. Um, and sometimes, uh, as a pastor, I feel some frustration, just like you do as parents, and sometimes you feel like... Uh, we work and we work, you know, you, you, you're at home and you clean the house and then it gets dirty again. And you pick up all the toys or you, or you fold the laundry and you do the dishes and then guess what? They get dirty again. And you walk in there and the kitchen's a mess and dishes are piled up. And you think, am I doing any good? What is all this labor about? Well, I tell you what, stop. Don't wash any more dishes. Don't wash any more clothes and don't clean the house. And see how that goes. Sometimes what we're doing is keeping each other from being way worse than we are. I would like to see more progress. I would like to see uh, advance. And we do see that. But sometimes, really, what we're doing is, you know, it's a holding operation. It's, uh, it's, it's making sure we don't 
slide down the hill into an utter disaster. And so be encouraged by that. That's a, that's an important function, right? If gravity's pulling you down in the wrong direction and then here's something lifting you up and helping you maintain, that is powerful. So whatever problems, whatever difficulties, whatever shortcomings you feel, I want to urge you to keep improving and working on those, but also recognize that without the church, however bad it is, it would probably be, probably be a whole lot worse. Well, we have taken membership vows. We've entered into covenant with one another, not because we agree on every detail. I suspect if we just began to talk, there'd be something here or there that we don't agree on or uh, haven't come to see just uh, identical, uh, uh, see it identically. Uh, because we, uh, we uh, that's true on both doctrine and practice, particularly if you're new in the church. You just come in, well, this isn't the way I grew up. This isn't what I'm used to seeing. This is a little different. Um, it might not be an issue of right or wrong. It's just different, different cultures. Every church, has a, just like every family, has a bit of a different culture. And so some of that's right or wrong. Some of it uh, uh, Christians have debated and, and still need to be worked out. And each local church has those things. But we're not here and committed as members because we agree on everything. Uh, we have done so, uh, we've become members of one another because Jesus has called us to be members of one another, to be attached, not just in a casual way, not just in a coincidental way, but in a covenantal way. And so we are in the process, as a result, of growing and maturing together as a family, not just neighbors, but as a family, there's a difference. You can be friends with the people next door. You can sit out in the front yard. You can have them over for dinner. They go back home. But if they're going to be part of your household, that's a different level of commitment. That We're in this uh, thick or thin. And so uh, this is, again, way more than simple friendship. Life in our communion is not simply an organization or a club. We are in covenant together, which carries with it duties, responsibilities, and privileges. So the Bible is full of direct instructions and commands as it pertains to these duties, responsibilities, obligations, and privileges. And I'm, we're going to take the rest of our time this morning to look at a bunch of Bible verses uh, to just drive home this point. This is the Word of God. This is how important this is. So we're going to look at uh, the one another passages. Just in that phrase, one another, there is an assumption that we are not alone, that we're not out doing our own thing, that we are attached to one another, that this is a one another operation. So I'm just going to start working through these uh, fairly quickly and making a few comments Mark 9.50, salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Uh, have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. So the world is not a peaceful place, but we are called together in the communion of God's people to, to labor and pursue peace, to find ways to get along, Find ways, as we'll see, to love one another. So peace is central to what we are laboring for. John 13, 34, and 35, of course, may be one of the, the central passages, and it repeats 
the central theme three times, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And that doesn't mean just have good feelings about each other. Uh, we're going to see that love is much more uh, involved, much more commitment and service and those kinds of things. But he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another uh, as I have loved you, that you love, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So three times uh, in two sentences, Jesus says that we are to love one another. Again, that's not just a, a sentimental feeling, but an actual commitment to one another in, in self-sacrifice. Romans 12:5. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Again, the image of a body is here. You have arms and legs and hands and you're attached. You, you're not separate. In order to function, we have to be together. We are members of one another. What happens to you uh, or me matters. Uh, if you're prospering spiritually, I benefit from that. If you're not, I suffer from that and vice versa. So it's not about just me. It's, it's, as we grow, everybody grows. As we are healthy, everybody's healthier. If we're sick, if we're not healthy, then that impacts the body as well, right? Romans 12.10. Now, I want to emphasize, these are commands. These are not suggestions. This is not some idealistic thing. This is, these are the commands of the Bible to us. Be kindly affectionate to one another. With brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. God commands us to be kind to one another and to be brotherly and honor one another. Romans 12:16, be of the same mind toward one another. That means we have to talk. We have to think. Sometimes we argue. Sometimes we push back. What about this? What about that? Uh, we're here to be that iron that sharpens iron that makes each of us better than we would be otherwise. I need you and you need me. And so that's part of that being a one mind toward one another. Again, some of these will be repeated. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. What, what are the, what's the great commandments? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself and your family, in this case the church, are your closest neighbors. Um, by the way, one, just a comment. Uh, as the church gets larger, it's harder to do this. It's harder to know everybody. So one, one of the places you could start, if you haven't already, is as you look around the room today, if you look across the room and say, I don't know that person. Are they members or are they not? If you don't know that, you need to find that out. Are they visitors? Are they members? Uh, have you spoken to them? What do you know about them? Don't wait for that to happen to you. You have an obligation to engage other people. If you're waiting for everybody to walk up and talk to you, uh, then that's not, that's not what the Scriptures are telling you here. You should be looking out to say, Who, how can I serve? How can I know this community and this congregation 
then that means you have to take steps in that direction. I don't care what age you are or how long you've been here. Uh, if you're looking around, I, I had the occasion to speak to someone the other day, and I mentioned another member, and I said, do you know so-and-so? No. And then, again, I mentioned someone else a little later. Do you know them? No. There's somebody who's been around for a while, and that that's concerning. You should, uh, not instantly, but if, you know, you should, if somebody's been coming here for a few months and you haven't talked to them or met them, uh, shame on you. Do something about that. That's easy to fix. Um, and after I just got through judging you, I'll read Romans 14, 13. Uh, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Now, this kind of judgment, look, we're all sinners. We all have failings, shortcoming. It's easy to go home and, and talk about somebody else and, and what they're not doing and their failings. What are we doing to help them? That's the point of this. We have an obligation here to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, and not focus on what, on everything, every place where they've fallen down. Um, Romans 14, 19, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which we may edify one another. Pursue it. Not just peace, but pursue those things that edify, that is, build up. Somebody's struggling, what are you doing to help them uh, be stronger? You talk to them, invite them over, pray with them, uh, offer to help them with something. There's all kinds of things you can do. Just a, a greeting on a Sunday morning can make a difference in people's lives. Romans 15, 5 through 7, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So how do we receive someone? The way Christ received you. Was that tentative or was that kind of... Oh, hi, you know, uh, nice to see you, and then you move along. Is that how Christ received you? Or did he embrace you? Did he take you in? He gave himself for you. And so that's what we're called to do when it comes to one another. Romans fifteen fourteen. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. I'm confident in you. You can do this. You, you know the Lord, you know His Word, you know the people around you, and so you can admonish. That is, you have some we have some obligation to say things other than how you doing or talk about the latest football game or hunting trip. Those things are fine to talk about. That's, that's not a put down on that. But if that's all you ever talk about, if it never goes any deeper than that, then we are going to have a very, very superficial family. Um, Romans sixteen sixteen, I like this one. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We would probably shake hands or give a hug or 
we greet each other. We speak to each other. And, and I see sometimes, again, at church, people can walk right past somebody and not even acknowledge them. We're, uh, sometimes I know anybody can be distracted, so I, I don't want to go too far with those kinds of evaluations. But if you're that person that you, you're on, you only speak if you're spoken to and you're never the one initiating, uh, then I would urge you to greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, that takes a little time. That takes some thoughtfulness. Um, 1 Corinthians 11.33, Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And this is in a category of showing respect. This is talking about the Lord's Supper, of course, that uh, we don't just do our own thing, that there's a, a proper sense in which we wait for one another. We're here together to do things, uh, and not just here doing our own thing. Um, 1 Corinthians 12:25 that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. These are a little different angles of the same things, of fundamentally loving each other, but taking care of each other, which means well, I have to know what your needs are before I can do that, and I can't know what your needs are if I never greet you and if I never spend any time with you. And if you're never at my house and I'm never at your house and we don't talk on the phone or we don't have a conversation at church, how in the world could I possibly care for you or you care for me? There's a lot of assumptions being made here in these commands of Scripture. Galatians 5:13-15 For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use, your li- use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. So again, to emphasize, through love, serve one another. And you heard me say many times, love and service are really kind of synonymous in the Bible. Self-sacrifice, doing what you don't necessarily want to do, but putting the needs of others ahead of your own. That's not my favorite thing to do. Yeah, but that's what we're doing, So, and you're part of we. So we're going to do this, okay? Uh, well, I don't really like that. I don't like this. Well, okay, you don't have to like it. What do, we, what do I say? You just have to do it, <laughs> okay? You don't have to like it. You just have to eat it. Um, you, liking it is a bonus. And sometimes, you know what? You don't like what you don't know, and sometimes it turns out you like something you didn't think you liked or you come to like it, or maybe after the fact, the thing you didn't want to do and you did it, and you didn't really like doing it when you were doing it, but then you really liked that you did it. Don't ask me to repeat that. <laughs> Galatians 6.2 Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Anybody here have a burden? Burdens come in a lot of sizes, a lot of shapes. At different times. There are burdens in our past. There are burdens we're lugging around right now. And there will be some more burdens in the future. And you and I need help with those. Sometimes just somebody coming alongside. Somebody saying a word. Just being there. Right? Those are burdens and someone helps us. So we are to bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4, 2 through 3. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering or patience, 
bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's an assumption here that this isn't easy. We're a room full of sinners, and it's easy to get irritated or bothered or annoyed and to just pull away from it because it's hard. And this text is saying, no, no, with lowliness, with humility, gentleness, long-suffering, patience. Here we go again. Bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's an assumption that this is not easy work. Ephesians 4.32, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Now, this that whole context of this passage of Ephesians 4 is great, but um, again, this is a command to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and forgiving one another. There's an assumption that we're going to need to forgive one another and that we're going to sin against each other and that I'm to be tender, not, okay, go away, I'll forgive you. No. What does it say? You're to forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Is that what he does? No, he forgives you and says, let's sit down and eat. Let's talk. Let's, let's uh, embrace. That's the standard. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. When we gather together, one of the places that we, you think about, oh, am I supposed to just walk up to you know, Jim Landrum and start singing a psalm to him? I may try that sometime and see, see what he does. Um, I bet you he'd like it, but um, uh, he'd probably start singing with me. But um, every time we join for worship, we sing together. We sing to one another. Those are psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that lift our hearts up, that bring us before God together. That's why corporate worship is so, one of the reasons it's so critical. And I was thinking about this today. You know, look, as a pastor, uh, I would I always hope and that, you know, one day I'm going to preach a sermon that somebody's going to say, man, that was just unbelievably good. I'm still waiting on that. Um, I'm just being a little lighthearted here. I, I read a quote yesterday by Vance Havner, an old Baptist preacher. He said, uh, some sermons need more fire and some sermons need to be thrown into the fire. Um, well, some of mine uh, definitely need to do that. But well, here's what happens. It, it's not so much that dramatic moment. I remember in my lifetime there were moments where I was hearing a sermon and it really moved me or changed me. It was dramatic or the preacher was particularly powerful. But by and large, here's what works, is coming to the dinner table every time you're supposed to. And even if it's hamburger helper, you eat it. And next time, every now and then, there's a little filet mignon, but mostly it's just showing up and doing what God said to do. And not just the sermons, but the singing, the praying, the confessing, the rejoicing, the paying attention, the communion, and we do that next week and next week and next week and next week and it just every all it's our life. 
and it becomes who we are, little by little. I was joking with Marinelle this morning all the time, taking kids to school. Many of you have done this. And you ask the kid, you're picking them up from school, and you say, what did you learn today? Nothing. Well, what did you do? Oh, we reviewed. I said, well, that's church, too. Everybody, you know, most of the time it's like, yeah, that was a, that sermon, that lesson was okay. I already knew all that. Uh, thanks. I, I probably needed to hear that again. Well, you can't really say that every week. I mean, but what happens is we're, we're not always conscious of what God's doing, but He's doing, this is His living word. And when it goes out and comes into us, it's doing something, even if we don't always recognize it. If I started asking you, if I took something that you know, uh, say I had a hundred things that you know, uh, and, and could recite back to me, and I said, where did you learn that? There would be a few things you could tell me. Oh, I remember that book that I read, and I learned that thing. Most of the things you know, you learn from somewhere, from somebody, and you don't remember where, when, or how. But it was important for you to learn those things. And sometimes you learn them because you heard it 15 times, and then finally after the 15th time, it's, it was yours. And then somebody said, well, where did you learn that? I don't know. Um, so I digress. Um, here's a... Where did I leave off? Um, let nothing be done... This is Philippians 2.3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. You've heard me say this before. You and I have something to learn from everybody here. I don't care what age they are, who they are. Um, we have something to learn if we will pay attention. problem is we often don't pay attention. Or we just hang out with our small little group of people that we feel comfortable in because we're so insecure that if we get outside that circle, it scares us and we run back to our circle. You, and so you and I need to tap into what God's given us here in this community. Uh, and you do that by being humble. You don't know it all. I don't care how smart you are. You don't know it all. And you have something to learn from people who are older than you, people who are younger than you, little children, old people, male, female. So you're in a school. You're in a family. You have things to learn. Philippians 2, 3, no, I just read that. Uh, Colossians 3, 12 through 16. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also must you do. But above above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection or maturity, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. There's a lot in that text, of course. That's uh, Colossians 3, 12 through 16. And I particularly wanted to call attention to this bearing with one another if anyone has a complaint against another, and we will. Just like you do in your household. And so, again, uh, putting up with difficult things, things that kind of rub us the wrong way. And, and instead of withdrawing, which is what we're tempted to do, I'll just sit on the other side of the room. I'll try to avoid seeing that person this Sunday. Um, 
That would be the, the opposite of this. You say, but they're so difficult. And I've tried three times and they're not returning it. Yeah, well, you know what? God is watching and God is pleased when you obey him and trust him. You don't know what he's doing in that other person's life. But you, you and I need to be concerned that we're doing what he's called us to. First uh, Thessalonians three twelve through 13, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. So when we are growing and abounding and increasing in our love for others, the text tells us that God's doing something in us at the same time. That he's maturing us. He's making us like Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 and 1 Thessalonians 5.11. The first one, therefore comfort one another with these words, the words of Scripture. And again, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing. You ever need some comfort? Had a hard day? Had a big event, some sorrow, some grief, you need some comfort. We're told to do this for one another. And again, if we don't know one another, if we don't spend time with one another, we're not even going to know somebody needs comforting, much less know how to comfort them. I hope by now, and we're running out of time, and I think I'm going to get, ooh, i got to hurry. Um, I'm going to just start reading text here instead of commenting on them because I'd like to get through this today. Uh, Hebrews 3. 12 through 13, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily or encourage one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We're rescuing, when we encourage one another, we're maybe keeping someone from falling off the cliff. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, And let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. So we're trying to stir the pot in, the good, in a good direction. Uh, to bring the good stuff to the top, if you will. Um, I'm going to abbreviate these because I really am about out of time and I have a bunch more. Uh, James 4.11, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. James 5.9, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. James 5.16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. You mean I'm supposed to confess my sins to other people? Yeah, I'm struggling with this. I need help with that. Would you pray for me? First Peter 1, 22 and 23. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently. That's the, that's the level of love. With a pure heart. Not, not, don't be a phony. First Peter 3, 8 through 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, a blessing. First Peter 4, 8 through 10. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift Minister it to one another. Serve one another with it. First Peter 5, 5. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. 
1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 1 John 3, 11, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 4, 23, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Um, a couple more here, or one more. 1 John 4, 7 through 12, several verses here. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Amen. Father, we thank you again for your word that is so full of life-giving instruction, correction, admonition, exhortation. Help us take these things to heart and to implement them with one another that we might build uh, more and more a community that is built upon the love of Jesus Christ. And may the world see that. May they long for it. May they find it lovely, attractive, and may they seek out how they can be a part of it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.